Lord, I am so glad to be in worship with you, and what a blessing it is to be able to, to go and be able to come back and have a chance to be with God's people. Amen? I mean to tell you, it is wonderful to be able to gather with people of like mind and like faith and worship together. Is that, am I right about that? Have you got that? Man, I tell you what. This world is so, uh, I mean, you know, people of the world, not, not to be disparaging or anything, but if you don't have God's Spirit, there's something markedly different about your life. And there's something markedly different about what makes you happy and what drives you. And man, it's just good to be with people who love the Lord. And I'm so glad to see you this morning. Well, as we look at God's Word this morning, I want to talk about the unmistakable language of love. We're taking a little break from our prophecy series this morning. And I want to share this message out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before we get there this morning, I got to tell you a little bit about my trip. Had a wonderful trip. We uh, we were backpacking in the White Mountains and uh, we... Uh, we just had a really good time, and it's just wonderful. The, those kind of trips, to me, are physically exerting. They're extreme. And, of course, you know, you're, just, you're sweating all day, and I know some of you guys and girls don't like that, but this is really good for the body. It's, it's physically demanding, but it is mentally restful. And uh, I know it's hard to—I know you, you may not believe that, but it really is— and uh, I just found it ironic, though, that we're down here in Florida, and in Florida, you know, we know around this time of year you're going to have hurricanes, right? Are y'all with me? I mean, we kind of get ready for hurricanes, and we have hurricanes, and we're blessed because of where we are in central Florida. Unfortunately for many people, the hurricane spends its fury on the coast, but by the time it gets here, typically, it's not too bad. We get a lot of rain and, and, and wind sometimes, but... I thought it was really ironic that I leave Florida and I go up to New Hampshire and lo and behold, there's a hurricane up there. Oh my goodness. Well, we had to, we had to kind of reschedule some things because of that, but, uh, but still it was, a, it was a wonderful trip. And one of the things that occurred while I was up there, I think this was, I forget what day it was now, but we were, we were hiking up, I believe we were hiking up Mount Lincoln and Mount Lafayette. And uh, the trail up there, the mountains up there are not really that high in elevation. They're only about four and 5,000 feet. And, and that doesn't really, that doesn't sound like much when you compare it to Colorado where you've got 14,000 feet peaks. And, and I've done that and, and I was doing this. But the thing that gets you is that the change in elevation is about 4,000 feet. And so you're really huffing it to get up top there, especially if you're carrying a full pack of about 30 pounds. Maybe, you know, my friend Mark, he's gotten his weight down to about 25. I, I can't get there yet. But anyway, when you're carrying an extra 30 pounds, uh, it, it gets a little bit heavy. And on one particular day, we were hiking up and we got started and it was amazing to me because uh, I was, you know, I was really working to get up that hill and, and all of a sudden there's about six to eight, I'd say 20 to maybe late 20 to early 30 year old girls that just came bouncing up that mountain. <laughs> and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, how are they doing this? And the one thing that clued me in to them being there was that on the trail, I mean, it's just crazy. You could hear in the distance, you could hear this, and it got a little bit louder. I mean, just a high-pitched chattering. And I thought, what in the world is that? 
And lo and behold, about six to eight girls come running right by me. And I'm thinking, man, they must be part of an athletic team. They are tough. But they, and, and you know, it was amazing. One girl in that group, she's probably a little bit older. She had, what do you call those things where women put pouches on to carry babies? And I guess men do this too. She had a three-month-old baby with her hiking up this trail. And this trail is not, a, it's not like a, a path that is level and perfect. This trail has got rocks and boulders, and every step is a step up or a step down or a step around. And I'm thinking, man, that is crazy. But apparently she was pretty used to it because she's carrying this little three-month baby. And my friend asked her, he said, why are you doing that? And she said, well, this, my baby's three months old, and they like to sleep a lot, so this is a good time. And I'm thinking, Wow. No way I would do that. But they were hiking this trail, and it was this constant jibber-jabber. So we got to a point in the trail where, where we had to do some climbing, you know, using our hands to, to climb up a rock face and stuff like that. And so things got slowed down. So I decided that, you know, after I climbed up, I decided, well, I'm going to get way ahead of these ladies so that I don't have to listen to that all the way. Because, I mean, I'm there to kind of get my mind relaxed, and it's like, this is kind of annoying, you know? Okay, honestly, this is, all right, I'm, I'm letting you see my, my dark side, so to speak. But anyway, I got ahead of them, and I was doing really good, and then I heard this, and it got louder and louder, and finally they came, and they passed me up. And as they were passing, I was just so curious. I said, what kind of language are you guys speaking? And they said, French. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea what they were saying. It, to me, it was just jibber-jabber. And on top of that, I'm asking myself, why are there a bunch of French girls on the Appalachian Trail in the White Mountains? And then my friend said, well, they probably live in Canada, in French Quebec. And so that made sense after all of that. But sometimes, I share this illustration because sometimes we have no idea what the message is being, is, is, is being communicated. What message is being communicated. In this case, I could not keep up. I couldn't even tell it was French because they were talking so fast. I've got a slide I want to show you just now, and, and this is a slide. Can anybody tell me what language this is? Anybody? Say that again. Morse code. Some of y'all know this. Does anybody know what that Morse code, the dots and the dashes, what that means on the bottom of the screen? Anybody know what that is? Who said that? Essa, who said that? Some of you guys, you're, you know, and girls, y'all know what that is. That is SOS in Morse code. So if you ever get into a jam, then I encourage you to find a way to go dot, dot, dash, dash, dot, dot, okay? I don't know how you're going to do it. But uh, anyway, as a matter of fact, that's one of the receivers for Morse code. And it's a specific language of dots and dashes. And when you look it up, every letter has a, has a particular dot or dash or da symbol. But it doesn't mean anything to those who don't understand what it means. Now, I've got another slide here I want you to see. And this is a slide, I'm sure that all of you know what this means, right? 
come on, guys, what, what do you think? I know some of y'all are laughing. And believe me, when I looked at that, I'm thinking, what in the world is that? I know that that is a, a mathematical equation, but the question is, what does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked me, what does it mean? Because to the uninitiated, it just looks like gobbledygook. But the reality is, this is the Black-Scholes equation. What in the world is the Black-Scholes equation? Well, some of you will be interested to learn because this impacts you personally. The Black-Scholes equation describes how financial experts and traders find prices for derivatives or stocks. It's based on certain properties of underlying assets. And so your financial trader or your financial person or your stock person, maybe not your average stock person, but those who are probably in uh, levels where they know what they're doing, this is the equation they use to help determine the value of a stock, a derivative, some other kind of financial asset. And, uh, and, you know, as I look at that right now, I'm thinking, wow, mathematics explains so much. I may not understand it, but really there are people who understand the language of mathematics. Now, I got another slide I want to show you, and this is a picture of what? A bass. What kind of bass? A largemouth bass. Congratulations. And you know, I found it interesting that fish behavior is, is, very, uh, is very unique. One of the things that fish do, not all fish, but at least the largemouth bass and I think maybe the speckled trout and some other fish, what they do is they have a specific reason for swishing their tails. Now, I know sometimes when you catch a fish, that fish is going crazy fighting and all that. But sometimes... When a, a fish is swishing a tail, it's not trying to get a, a, something to eat. And it's not trying to fight against a fishing line. Sometimes when it's swishing a tail, family is on its mind. Did you realize that? Because when they swish their tails, oftentimes a largemouth bass and I think speckled trout, they will swish their tails so that they can move pebbles and rocks and debris out of a certain area and into a certain pattern because they're providing a nest from which mama largemouth bass can come and lay her eggs. And apparently she's very discriminating because she knows what nest she needs to be at. And so they swish their tails and they make room for a family. It's important if you're in conservation to understand what the fish are doing. It's also important if you're just an everyday citizen to understand the language of cats and dogs. Amen? I mean, what does it mean when a dog is wagging his tail? It means he's happy. Okay, you guys can talk back. This should be a dialogue. Do you know in the early days of preaching, the preacher would talk and the people would talk back to him? Just be nice if you do that, okay? But no, the dog will wag his tail back and forth and that means the dog is what? He's happy or she's happy and she's excited and she wants to see you and she wants to jump all over you and scratch you and, and tear up your clothes and all that. But she loves, she's happy to see you. She's going to lick you and she's going to just let you pet her and she's going she's gonna to just shower you with affection. Now, what happens if you approach a cat in the same manner? 
What happens if a cat is swishing its tail around? That cat is disturbed. You see, if you misinterpret the wagging of a tail between a cat and a dog, you may not get loving treatment. You may get some really mean treatment, a scratch or a bite or something like that. They all mean different things. And sometimes our communication is so misunderstood that we don't truly get the meaning. And sometimes we suffer for it. So as we look at God's Word this morning, I want to take you to a very, uh, a very important passage that deals with love, with Christian love, agape love. Because with agape love, the language is very clear. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to read this passage together with you, beginning in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture, and keep in mind this passage was written to the church at Corinth that had received the Lord, but many of them were struggling with each other. They were just in a, I mean, they had a different idea about what it meant to be a believer. And some believers there thought that to be a believer, you had to be a super believer and exhibit all the gifts of the Spirit. And if you didn't have all the gifts, then you were lesser than and, and that sort of thing. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul now draws them to the fact about what real Christian love is all about. So let's stand together and let's read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think they'll probably have it on the screen, but if you'd like to, please follow along in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse number 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. Pause there for just a moment. You ever been around somebody that just goes on and on and on? And man, they are, and don't say preachers, okay? I know it. (laughs) If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for revealing your truth to us and who you are. Lord God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts as individuals this morning. Lord God, we are here to worship you today. And Father, we've worshiped you in song and worship you in giving. And Lord God, we worship you by giving attention to your word. And Father, I pray you'll speak to the heart of hearts of where each of us is as an individual. 
Lord God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray, O God, that you might enlighten every one of us. Our paths are all different, Father, but you've called us to run the race that is set before each of us. And Father, I pray that your word this morning would give light to each of our paths that we might know how to be pleasing to you. Father, I pray this morning that your word, which is your word declares itself to be the sword of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that it would work in our hearts to discern the intent and the motive of what we do and why we do. And Father, we pray that you would just speak to us as individuals, guide and direct us, Lord, as a church, that we might know how we might walk a life of love, a life that is pleasing to you and a life that is a blessing to others. And Father, we pray this morning for those dear souls Lord God, who have not experienced your unconditional love, that this day might be the day when your unbounding, eternal love might fill their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for participating in the reading of God's Word and for giving your attention to God's truth this morning as we look at this passage. Uh, the Bible describes love as the more excellent way. There's some great ways to live. There's some fantastic things to do. But, but the Apostle Paul says there's a more excellent way, a better way. He talks about spiritual gifts in this passage, which are blessings for the people of God that come from God, for those who've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. And what God does is when you become a believer, God blesses you with spiritual gifts that takes who you are and magnifies who you are for the betterment of the church, for the betterment of yourself and the edification of the body of Christ. But Paul goes on about these gifts, but then he says, I want to show you guys, and particularly in Corinth, because they had some people that were a little bit self-centered there, just a little bit. And, uh, and there were some reasons for that. But Paul said, in the most excellent way, it is the way of love. This passage gives us at least four things that stand out to me. And, and this, is not, uh, this, this, is, this does not include everything, but, but basically it's kind of a, I'm kind of uh, taking it as a snapshot. Some of the things that speaks to us about what it means to be loving. And by the way, before I get into this passage this morning, I just want to say, to be loving does not mean to be weak. It does not mean that you are, that you lack courage. It does not mean that you're less than because you display mercy or because you uh, have a kind heart. But what it tells me is that God's Spirit has been working in you, taking that heart of stone and making it a warm-blooded, hot heart for the way of the Lord. And so let me just share several things, and we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, so each of you should have gotten one of these if you're a believer, and if you need one, we'll have some men that'll be providing some extras for you this morning. So the Bible tells us, first of all, in this passage, I want to just point out that, that when I think of love and when I look at this, I understand that the language of love, which, is, which really is, is not, it's very easy to understand, but the language of love is a language of hospitality. What this means is that when you act in a loving manner, you communicate the message of camaraderie and acceptance. It, it is an action of welcome. 
Notice what it says in this passage. Love is patient and kind. It, it, it describes someone who is, is open to, to, to others. It describes someone who is, is kind, has a kind heart, is, is, is welcoming, who is accepting, and who is uh, you know, someone that you're comfortable to be around. Friends, if there are people in your life and you make them uncomfortable, then something might be just a little bit amiss. You need to look at yourself and see how you're relating because love displays the characteristic of hospitality. We might say goodwill or kindness. Notice that the Bible tells us in this passage a little bit further down that it, it, it gives us the negative, uh, the negative of love. And it says that love is not rude. Love is not arrogant. Those who are arrogant and rude really aren't hospitable. And so the Bible says that, that love is a language of welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're in my life. I'm glad we're sharing this space together and this time together. Think about this for just a moment. The Bible says that God has set the times and the boundary of habitation for every person who comes into this world. Did you know that? The Bible teaches us that in the book of Acts. And if that is true, then the boundary of your habitation and the boundary of someone else's habitation, when you have contact with them, it has connected together at a specific time. You're not here by accident. The job that you have, the career that you have or you had, you're not there by accident. You may think, wow, this was just kind of a, a roll of the dice. But the reality is the Bible tells us that God has been working in our lives in all things so that he might conform us to the image of Christ and so that he might bring good to those of us who love him. God has been planning good works for you to walk in before you were even born. That's what the scripture says. And part of that happens in the realm of hospitality. I'm thinking just a moment now about an episode in the New Testament where Jesus had been doing all kinds of wonderful, amazing things and people were clamoring to see him. And some of the people that wanted to be around him were people that did not have a very good reputation. And there was one little fellow that was a short guy. I think he had short man syndrome. He wanted to be richer than everybody else. And he probably, he was very dishonest. And he was somebody that everybody in the crowd hated because what did he do? He collected money for the Roman government. He was so bad that his name started with the last letter in the alphabet. A Z. His name was Zacchaeus. No, I got to just tell you, uh, the last letter in the, he, in the, in the uh, Greek alphabet is omega. So I'm just, you know, I'm kind of I'm being a little facetious here. But he was one bad dude, and everybody hated Don't you just love the tax collectors? Sure we do. No, they, they have a tough job, and the ones that do, it, that, that do it right, they do it well. But this guy was a cheat. And he not only collected the taxes that were due the Roman government, but he collected anything over that because it could make him rich. And he was a thief and he had a covetous heart. 
But he wanted to see Jesus so bad and everybody else was crowding around and they elbowed him out and he couldn't see over those tall, those tall men and women. And so what did he do? He climbed up a tree so that he could get a look at Jesus. And you can only imagine what it must have looked like with this crowd of people that were gathered on the road and Jesus is coming along the way and they're looking at him. There's probably some asking him questions. They're kind of following along. And then Jesus stops in front of this tree where this little short guy's climbed up into the tree. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to spend time at your house today. And everybody in the crowd went, whoa, does he know what kind of man he's talking to now? And Jesus' response was, this man also is a son of Abraham. And Jesus would say, today salvation has come to your house. You know what? The hospitality of Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life. And you know what? That was a good thing, not just for Zacchaeus because it warmed his heart and brought him salvation, but it also was a good thing for the people of that community. Why? Because Zacchaeus had such a change of heart because of the hospitality and the love of Jesus that Zacchaeus determined that he would pay back everyone that he had stolen from. And I can only imagine that there were people in that community whose lives were bettered because Jesus loved a sinner, an ungodly man. Let me encourage you not to write people off just because they have a bad reputation. Don't write people off just because they don't do things exactly like you. Don't write people off just because they are different. Give yourself a chance to understand today your boundary and your timeline has intersected with them. And if you'll put on the hospitality, the love of Christ, it might just change their eternity and be a blessing for many others. You can't lose by the display of love. The Bible says... The language of love is a language of hospitality. It is the communication of the message of camaraderie and acceptance. It is an action of welcome. Secondly, the Bible says the language of love is a language of mercy. Notice what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You know, when I think about this mercy, I understand it conveys the, 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 the feeling of kindness and patience, and, and it is the action of forbearance and toleration. You see, love is not just a feeling. When we say we're in love, man, there's a supercharged feeling when you're in love and man, it just, it just fuels you. You got all kinds of energy and you're just, man, when you think about being in love, it's intense, it's instinctual and it happens and thank God for that. But the instinct of being in love and that experience is different than the action of agape love. And agape love is a love that exercises mercy. 
In our passage of Scripture, there's some positive and some negative uh, characteristics that demonstrate for us love. And notice in verse 4, it says love is patient. That means that love is slow to become resentful. It's interesting, when you look at that passage uh, and you look at that verse and In verse 5, it says that the love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. And by the way, let me just say, this this does not apply necessarily to uh, procedures and things like that in the workplace because there are times when if you don't follow the exact procedure that somebody has laid out, you could put yourself in jeopardy or someone else or you could open up your business to liability or uh, libel issues or whatever it might be. So this is the attitude that it's my way or the highway. Those who walk in love have a spirit that says, I'm willing to work with you. I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. We may do it my way, but we're not going to be that kind of belligerent person that, that just makes everybody else sick because they, you, know, you just can't have it. You can't have a relationship sometimes with folks that are always like that, at least not one of love. It also says that it's not irritable or resentful. I think the the NIV translation uh, says that it keeps no record of wrongs. This word that's used here, that's translated as resentful or uh, keeps no record of wrongs, it literally means to reckon or take account of. If love is keeping a record of wrongs, it's violating its own nature. We don't spend our time writing that list of things about why I hate Jim or why I hate Mary because they've done this and they've done that and we've got our bullet points. And you know what? When you're walking in that kind of attitude, you're not walking in Christ-like love. And sometimes people mistake that for weakness. Let me just tell you that Walking in love is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing, I have ever attempted to do. I got to tell you something. I remember a story one time about a a lady who was complaining to her pastor and said, Pastor, you're just not going deep enough. I don't feel like I'm getting fed. I don't feel like I'm learning enough. I'm just not being challenged intellectually. I'm not being challenged in my soul. And I just think you need to, to preach some deeper sermons. And the pastor responded to her and said, Well, He said, I don't know about you, but I find some of the most simplistic truths to be the hardest to walk in in my Christian life. And she said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, for example, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your wife as you love yourself. Love your husband as you love yourself. Love your mom and dad as you love yourself. Love your brother, your sister as you love yourself. Listen to me, that is probably the most challenging commandment that I have ever walked in aside from the first commandment to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my might, to love God with everything, to love him supremely, and secondly, to love my neighbor 
as I love myself. You know what happens when you do that? You have to put self in a secondary position or maybe a tertiary position because loving your neighbor means learning to love sacrificially. You probably remember the story Jesus told to the lawyer who asked him the question. The lawyer said to him, uh, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, well, the first greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second greatest commandment is what? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus went on to say, all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in those two commandments. That is amazing. The language of mercy, the language of love, it is about having a merciful heart. It's about learning to not be rude, not insisting on your own way, not being irritable and resentful. You know, sometimes uh, people just get a reputation for being irritable. Someone asked a lady one time, she said, hey, did you wake up grouchy? And she said, no, I let him sleep this morning. You know, some people just are grouchy. <laughs> but you know what? When, when, when our hearts are captured by love, that old grouch just has to go away. It has to change. And it makes life a whole lot easier for all of us. The language of love. The Bible talks about love being a, a, a hospitable, about being merciful. But, but thirdly, it's a language of ministry. It's a language of helps. It, it, is, it conveys the idea of assistance and supportiveness. It, it is the action of being helpful. When we put on love, it means that we are in the corner. We are supportive. We are willing to do what we can. We're there in a time of need. And of course, the, Jesus told the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan who, who went to a man who had, been, uh, who had been robbed, had been beaten and left for dead. And uh, he was in bad shape. But there was this one guy who understood the boundary of his habitation and the time that God set him to live. It put him in a direct collision course with a man who lost everything and in that moment of time and in that geographical region the good Samaritan did what he could love it hopes all things it endures all things it bears all things it believes all things. It doesn't mean that love is naive. It just means that love believes the best about situations. Let me just tell you what, if you're a Christian, you have to maintain that attitude that our Heavenly Father does all things well. You have to maintain that attitude in spite of circumstances that what men mean for evil, God means for good. It means that if you believe all things, it means you're believing that God is good and that he is loving and that he's good to his word. And though you feel like you're all alone, he will never forsake you. He's right there. He's always with you to lift you up, to strengthen you. And God is on your side. Does anybody believe that? If you're a Christian, that is true. The Bible says that the way of the sinner is hard and that God opposes the proud, but God gives grace. 
to the humble. And he is for his children. And you know, when we think about it like that, we think about the grace and the mercy God has extended into our lives. It ought to help us to understand that when the moment comes and the opportunity arises, it may be that God has said specifically, Pastor Craig, you meet that need. You know what the Bible says? God has freely given to us and freely blessed us, then we should have open hands and be able to bless others. And in the language of love, that means ministry. And I don't mean specifically gospel ministry here. I'm talking about just a ministry of helps. But certainly the gospel ministry is there. Fourthly, let me just say that the language of love is a language of sincerity and truth. This conveys the message of truthfulness and veracity. It is an action of honesty. When we pursue the language of ministry, it conveys the idea of assistance and supportiveness. It is the action of helpfulness. When we have the hospitality, uh, the the hospitality going in our lives, the love, it means that we've conveyed a a sense of welcome and camaraderie and acceptance. And when we extend mercy to others and we don't hold them to this high standard that we ourselves cannot even hold, it conveys the idea of kindness and patience. It is the action of toleration and forbearance. And when we choose to convey sincerity, in our lives, integrity, and truth. It is an action of honesty. Notice the Bible says in verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. When we are sincere with people and we speak truth to them and speak it in love, even though it may be hurtful to them at the time, it also may be helpful. And by the way, if you're determined to tell somebody something that might be hurtful to them, Ask yourself, is it helpful to them? You might want to jot that down because we are to speak the truth in love, but we speak the truth in love so that it might edify and build others up, not so that it might destroy them. Some of us have to get that worked out in our brains. But, but the, the idea here is that, that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. If you're one of those people that rejoices when you see people doing ungodly things, then something is wrong with your view of love. It's not right. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. And so as we look at this passage, I guess there's only, there's one other thing that I want to point out. And and this passage gives us the highlight, if you will, the apex, the zenith of a display of love. And the Bible tells us that this is the love of Calvary. When we look at what Christ did on the cross, his incarnation, his crucifixion, and subsequently his resurrection, when we look at what he gave up for us on the cross when he died for our sins, that is the true language of the highest love possible. You might want to jot this down, this reference. This is John 15. The Bible says this, and Jesus said it like this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus He laid down his life for us. He gave, ultimately, he died. But love is about self-sacrifice as well. We know that God loves us because while we were sinners, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that Christ died for us while we're sinners. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
And whoever believes in him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. Let me just share with you that when it comes to putting on love, sometimes that means that we communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. It means that we're bold enough to say to them that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you don't accept him, your eternity is to constantly be paying for the sins that you've committed in a place called hell. But if you accept Christ and you receive Him as the atoning sacrifice or the relieving sacrifice, the Bible says you will not perish, but you will live eternally with the Lord. Getting the right message is so important. And I got to tell you something. If somebody is, is, is doing unto me as I would have them, if, if I'm doing to others what I would have them do unto me, then I would be experiencing a lot of love, man. I mean, bring it on, baby, bring it on, you know? And I know you want it too. But it's interesting because if we don't get the right message or if we don't convey the right message, then people will have a poor opinion oftentimes of God's people. Many years ago, the wrong, the wrong message got communicated by Jimmy Carter. Y'all know who Jimmy Carter is? He was the president here years ago, and, and he's still alive today, and uh, he and his wife uh, uh, are there, and, and they're not in good health now. But, but many years ago, when he, was, when he was president, he was over in Poland. It was 1977. And uh, he explained that he wanted to learn more about the Polish people's desires for the future, both politically and economically. And, and unfortunately, he had a translator that wasn't very good at translating. <laughs> you know, sometimes they say something gets lost in the translation, right? Well, in this case, it was not very good because the linguist named Stephen Seymour, he translated into words, the words that he, that he translated suggested that President Carter wanted to understand the carnal desires of the people of Poland. Now, if you understand that word, you understand what I'm saying. It wasn't a very good thing. And, and if that wasn't enough, the translator, he also translated Carter talking about returning back to America and him saying that he had abandoned America. So Carter, not only did Carter say in the words of the translator that I want to know all your carnal desires, but when I return to America, I want you to know that I have abandoned America. When Carter didn't say that at all, really what Carter was, was trying to say was that, uh, that he was going back to America, but that somehow it got translated as I've abandoned America. The point I'm trying to make this morning is that when you act in Christian love, it is an unmistakable language that describes the love of God. And every one of us needs to ask ourselves, am I acting in a loving way that communicates that I know the God of love? The Bible says if we love God but we hate our brother, then we have missed the boat severely. And I know it's hard and I know it's, it's really impossible to learn how to forgive and not be resentful unless you've been forgiven and cleansed and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so I want to encourage you to give the Lord your heart afresh and anew. And as hard as it may seem, I want to encourage you to put on love because that is the language of heaven. And it will transform your life.